0: People, when they click on this, they'll see the title, so they'll be like, poor Ed.
1: What does that even fucking mean?
0: However, because it's England, that's largely ignored and unstudied.
1: I, I really wish for the sake of, of my sense of moral righteousness that I could get away
0: with saying no. He had a goddamned ancestral home and a noble title until Germany became a republic.
1: No, none of this highfalutin, you know, uh, critical role stuff.
0: So they chewed through my favorite shit. No, I'm not helping them.
1: I'm going to say that you are getting into another kind of, you know, Mediterranean or psyche archetype
0: kind of thing. Makes sense. Also trade wins are a thing.
1: Haha, uh-huh, just serious. Like, no, he really has a mad on him. Uh, you know, we'll go up on a tangent. Um, as we keep doing.
0: Like, yeah, I, this is this is yeah. how we fill time. history of time
1: where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history and english teacher here in northern california and um i don't know if you can hear it on the other end of the microphone or not but um uh i i am i am now a little bit uh stuffed up um because i am i am on the recovering end of um i don't know what but uh, it was a, an upper respiratory, up in my sinuses illness that uh, stole my sense of smell for not quite two whole weeks. Um, and I tested negative for COVID like half a dozen times. Um, but uh, yeah, I, my, my sense of smell went away on a Tuesday morning during my prep period. Uh, I noticed it as it was happening because I was actually eating my breakfast as it just went poof. And um, last night um, was the the first night that it mostly, my, my sense of smell and taste almost completely came back. And I have never been so happy in my life to have orange chicken as I was last night like like a a would something fell into place or something like fell away and and it it was it was a transcendental experience having it come back. Um so yeah that's that's where I am. My morale is a whole lot better now. Um and I apologize to our, our audience for any sniffling you you may have heard in our last episode and and probably will hear here hear here here hear. How about you?
0: Well, I'm Damian Harmony. I'm a U.S. history teacher at the high school level up here in Northern California. Uh, And I finally figured out how to properly print out miniatures and terrain via my 3D printer. Um, So a couple years back. hell yeah. A couple years back, my kids' uh, aunt and uncle bought them a, a 3D printer for kids kind of thing. And okay. I was like, how can we repurpose that a bit to do stuff that we all want to do? And it's kind of sat fallow. Producer George came and helped me out quite a bit um, and did okay. what he could. He and his child, they do a lot of resin printing and things like that, which is pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and then my uh, co-star uh, and and the, the host and referee of Capital Punishment, uh, he came over. Um, because cool, he was he prints like just for funsies all the time he said hey i got some ideas for this thing can we try it absolutely and we spent uh, a large chunk of yesterday uh just going over the printer and and trying it and then trying it again and you can kind of see Mm -hmm. this like progression of the evolution of us being able to do it yeah it was pretty cool so all right Um, i tested it out and printed a sci-fi wall that i found a file for somewhere and it worked really really well uh so i'm very happy to to be able to do
1: that that's awesome so is it a is it a uh like a plastic uh spool printer like okay filament that's Mm -hmm. what i was looking for Mm -hmm. very cool yeah so i'm
0: very happy about that showed that to my kids today they were happy awesome yeah Anyway, when last we talked, uh, there were big doings going on uh, economically uh, in Japan. Yes. And uh, it was bleeding its way into the toy market. Or rather, there were huge reactions uh, against Japanese economic success on this side of the Pacific uh, by people who had forgotten that World War II basically made it so the rest of the world was 20 years behind us. And then in the end yeah. thirty years, they some of them started catching up, um, and yeah,
1: and, and and it was it was very scary to mm-hmm. um, a number of people. Interestingly, they didn't they didn't raise the same alarm bells when you know Germany uh, started catching up, or when the UK started catching up, but yeah, for some that. reason, um, <laughs> the Japanese miracle. Uh, was was especially frightening, mm-hmm. so and I don't know. Yeah, um, and I mean, there's there's the obvious explanation. I and I kind of wonder if the rapidity of it um, might have. Well, I don't know. Rapidity. Germany also had a pretty fast uh, I was rebound. So Germany's success Um,
0: is a thumb in the eye of the Soviet Union, and you literally have a city broken in half, and you literally have a country broken in half over that ideology. So I could see see Western Germany's success being our success, England's success kind of being our success because those are both NATO countries. Now, that being said, you also didn't have 60, 70 years of just entrenched anti-English and anti-German sentiment riding through our laws and and infecting yeah. Californian especially sensibilities but yeah uh, particularly most of America's sensibilities regarding um Asian immigrants uh and then Japanese immigrants more specifically in uh yeah. california so
1: yeah so um and we've we've talked before we t- you know briefly kind of talked in the last episode but we talked in more more detail uh in the Battletech episodes about the uh kind of cultural fascination that that also happened at the same time uh there was the Shogun miniseries in uh 79 uh 79 right. or 80 yeah uh which was a huge big deal um <clears throat> interestingly, Netflix, uh, is going to be doing a they're, they're doing a remake of that uh as a limited series uh next year in 2024 and a part of me kind of wonders you know hmm I wonder I wonder why why they've chosen that like we do here you know why why are we seeing that again now um but it was it was a huge cultural moment uh, you know uh miniseries in in 80. Um, there was, and
0: on, I believe on Netflix, there was a samurai TV series that went up in the last two, three years. Um, yeah. so yeah. it could just be a oh, that succeeded. Let's bring back something that we already have access to or yeah uh, we and buy i the think I, cheaply but that doesn't mean that's the only thing like why is there yeah. a samurai movie well and i think that might be in response to the viking tv series that are going on so there could be a few things at play yeah uh, as yeah. well as the fact that uh abe is dead um he was assassinated <laughs> uh yeah if i recall correctly by yeah. uh, the uh the what are those people about uh, I don't want to say the, the, basically the followers of some young moon um oh um unification tied... church yeah unification church wasn't that tied to was it America?
1: was it unification Church or was it uh, um um soon Rikyo. um because there's there's a different cult that's uh-huh. Japanese uh the the folks that did the rice and attack in the in the subways um I'd have to look it up um right. But yeah, he, he, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of different things I could, I could say something about the fact that here in our pop culture, um, Japanese animation, anime and manga have become a mainstream thing. Like you can go into Barnes and Noble and they have like five, five shelves dedicated to, to manga. Mm-hmm. Um and so seeing live action, you know, Japanese cultural drama. I mean, admittedly it's based on a novel by a western author, but it's a Japanese subject matter. Um just kind of seems like they might be doing the math and going, "You know what? This is this is a property we could we could potentially make money off of safely, you know, based on that." So who knows? I mean, it could be any number of things kind of going on there sure um but back in the late 1970s early 1980s um japanese culture was exotic japanese culture like they were perceived as being a rising force Mm -hmm. um and so there was this fascination and so as i mentioned kind of to you know briefly recap the last episode we see uh, you know basic cable stations uh, dipping into Japanese animation series as a way to fill time uh, And then that you know, they, they realized that they get viewers by doing that and so that opens the road up uh, for more of the same
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so um, When I left off Based on this kind of fascination, Hasbro executives visited the Tokyo Toy Fair in 1983 or Tokyo Toy Show, saw the Diaclone and Microchange toy lines from Takaratomi. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, we're going to license this and we're going to make these our own. And uh, they went home and to market this new toy line. They did what they had already had success doing with the GI Joe toy line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they went to Marvel Productions
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Sunbow Productions uh, to to make another cartoon series. right. Now, in the case of the Transformers show, they then went to Toei Animation Studios in Japan who was the studio of their their an anime studio that was already very well established. They were an old name in anime um, and they were actually uh, the studio that had produced the Mazinger Z series, which was one of the ones that had been picked up uh, by Nickelodeon and turned into Transor Z here in the States. So um, the Transformers Cartoon series was produced by marvel productions and sunbow partnering with toei and toei were the f- primary animators for the first season of it it's an american cartoon series right to advertise japanese designed toys that is animated by the same studio that created Mazinger or z on which transor z was based so it's Japanese animation for an American written and developed cartoon that's based on Japanese designed toys. It's it's this weird kind of loop thing going on here.
0: Yeah, I think I get it. I mean, so it, it I mean, cuz you get to the point where like there's distribution studios, there's filming studios, there's you know, yeah stuff like that. Like I, you know, and and there was that one time that a wcw wrestler wrestled a wwe wrestler for the ecw championship on an mcw <laughs> show uh because a judge ordered it like so
1: yeah yeah
0: i'm not a stranger to such things sir
1: yeah oh yeah um so and i and i want to i want to take a minute to talk a little bit about the transformers mm-hmm. as a property as as the storyline got developed and again This was a cartoon series that was fairly transparently um, designed to be a marketing method for a line of, I don't know, roughly six or seven inch tall, you know, toy cars that transform into robots and back, right? Right. And the writing, so the animation is being done by Toei Studios. So if you look at the art style of the show... Um, I hold the Transformers responsible for an entire generation of nerds. uh, it, it's like a gateway drug for getting into anime. Okay. Um the storylines are very Western. Uh, remember that uh, we have we have two, two sides, right? Uh, we have the autobots who are all, good guys okay there are some of them who are a little more sarcastic there's some of them who are you know kind of kind of shoot from the hip uh you know a little bit run off the rails don't always follow orders kind of guys Mm -hmm. but they're all good guys right like there's there's not an anti hero amongst any of them right Mm -hmm. and then on the other side we have the decepticons who are the bad guys um Notably, um, only Decepticons uh, took the form of aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, at least at first.
0: Right. And until you had the aerial bots. Yes. And also, oh God, was it? It was, I forget its name now, but it was a shuttle, a, a space shuttle that also was a right. big lizard thing.
1: Oh, uh, was that one of the Dinobots?
0: No, no, no. What no, a Dinobot? No. Um, it was it was a space shuttle, and it had like a a, a bird's head almost. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I think I, I yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I'd have to look it up. Um, that I'm trying to remember whether it was Gen One or if that was that might have been a Gen Two.
0: It was early um, in the cartoon, so that's okay. All, I know. Yeah. all right,
1: so. In any event, you have the Autobots, you have the Decepticons. On the Autobot side, you have Optimus Prime um, Mm -hmm. as their commander. You have Megatron as the commander on on the Decepticon side. His
0: his name was Skylakes. That's what it was. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah.
1: And then um, all of the plot lines for Mm -hmm. the show... Uh, they'll occasionally have one like the the introductory three episodes. I think it was like two or three episodes long for the for the intro, but then every every other episode after that is twenty five minutes, self contained plot. You know, um, the Decepticons are always out to conquer the world, uh, destroy the Autobots. You know, cause havoc. You know, subjugate right. humanity.
0: Well, and always uh, the autom- to get energon cubes, there was an yes. energy uh, shortage. Apparently,
1: yeah they they had to they had to find energy sources and then convert them into energon to mm-hmm. to fuel themselves. So it was for nice. them for them it was like finding food, right? Um, which is really interesting. Which I hadn't even thought about this, but this is a TV series in the mid eighties. Mm-hmm. uh after we had been through two oil crises yes
0: in the yes. decade prior and again huh. it's american cars for the most part a few italian ones um
1: and some well remember the rx7 was yeah like was my was So to yeah. say
0: japanese one yeah but it was largely just american cars or yeah cars that americans drove i'll put it that way mm, those mm. are your autobots you know yeah whereas yeah and
1: the um, and the decepticons were recognizably um US
0: fighters, yes,
1: uh, twin tail like F 15 type.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, Although, the okay, the Autobots they had Skylinks, yeah. that was yeah. the, the shuttle one that, that, yeah, like it didn't turn into a human, it turned into a talking something or other. Yeah, but there was also Jetfire. <laughs> you remember Jetfire? Yes. There okay. was Jetfire,
1: Jetfire was a later release.
0: Was he? Because he was. He Gen was 1. not.
1: He was not there. He was Gen One, but mm-hmm. he was not part of the original line.
0: Oh, okay. The, the
1: original, the original release line, and his appearance in Marvel Comics. There was a whole storyline about. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! There's an airplane who's an Autobot. Right, and he had amnesia and like. Right. The, the Decepticons were trying to get him because, obviously, he's got to be one of them because, like, he's got wings. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Hell. Um, and he now, was hella
0: old, if I recall correctly.
1: Yeah, there was some there was some yeah. issue with that. Now, the Autobots and the Decepticons were alien, sentient robots um, mm-hmm. who'd crash-landed a long, long time ago and, you know, been in stasis. Right. And so we have a very clear uh uh moral boundary Mm -hmm. between good guys and bad guys it's very black and white um they fight with each other like the toys all have some kind of laser rifle or some other kind of energy weapon or something and they will shoot at each other but in the cartoon you know, nobody. You know, they, they get they get hit, they get injured. Nobody ever gets killed. Right. Um, they can get repaired. They can get fixed because they're robots. Yeah. They can get fixed. Um, and the collateral damage is never never focused on, like. Right. Right. You would you would see collateral damage when something was about to fall on a character, right? If if sure. Sam Witwicky and his dad were about to get crushed by masonry, you know, one right. of the Autobots would have to run and catch it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But but you never see anything like the Avengers Battle of New York, where it's like, oh my God, the whole city is being fucking wrecked, right? Right. You know, the the collateral damage is not itself a story point.
0: Sure. Sure. Okay. No, it's the stories are largely relationships between the the Transformers themselves and yeah. between Spike Sam and uh, the the Autobots. Like yeah, and they're I think they had a handicapped friend as well.
1: Yeah, uh, one of my <laughs> and for whatever reason, you saying that reminded me of one of my favorite lines from the original cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Witwicky says something to Bumblebee about. Man, we made it out of there by the skin of our teeth. Hmm. And Bubbly B Blinks and goes, "I didn't know human teeth had skin." <laughs> and and like, you know, for a for a cartoon aimed at like 9-year-olds, that was like there's some there's genuine kind of cleverness there, sure, like, sure. you know. I've carried that one with me for some reason that has taken up space in my head for decades. But hmm. you know, but it's it's very much and animated like GI Joe is is very much an animated series pointed at 9 and 10 year old primarily boys right? right um there are very clear cut you know good guy bad guy issues bad guys are always doing something bad good guys are always you know uh uh there is no moral ambiguity anywhere right um Characters, you know, good guy characters might have moments of like self-doubt that drive them to run away or right. you know face some kind of internal challenge, but you know, they never,
0: they or never... again just amnesia or mistaken yeah. identity. Like or, oh, oh yeah. That's okay. I'm mixing up. Am I mixing up or are was there a different name? Not Jetfire, Skyfire. Was that is that one of those Am- that was Am- his animated oh. name? I know there's a might toy have been the difference, Jetfire, it, it but... might
1: have been the difference between the comic book and oh, the okay.
0: show, yeah. Because Skyfire was friends with Starscream and they'd actually hit the earth earlier than the ship crashed, yeah. But then Starscream like lost him or something, I think he fell into a, a, a crevasse or something yeah something icy like he he
1: OTC. yeah he had a captain america kind of, yeah. kind of thing
0: uh it's funny <sighs> and you went with a uh, cap yeah um but uh but then because i remember uh star went looking for him couldn't find him and then he thought out for reasons i can't remember yeah and and then he helped megatron at first and then and and yeah then he he meets with uh, i think sideswipe um yeah. i could be wrong um yeah. and then and then he realizes how bad the decepticons are yeah but like yeah and he's the he's the he's the plane the only autobot plane and yeah he yeah. he always struck me as very Robotechy,
1: because because he, he he was but i'll I'll get to that oh okay sorry but yes so because there's 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 yeah we're we're, we we got a ways to go before i I can get to that point but yes as a matter of fact um you may recall that his design did not include a full face in the way that most of the autobots had
0: yeah and there's a lot of red and white on him yeah yeah
1: Yeah. that's Um, color scheme stuff which is a little bit less important but the Mm -hmm. the the humanoid looking face or not humanoid looking face is a is a bigger deal uh design
0: wise right so but yeah Um, my point being just that um he you did have some moral ambiguity within that character because he had lost his faculties to remember Yeah. yeah
1: right yeah uh but but it all got sorted out in the end for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term so um and in the same way that's the same kind of storyline that you saw all the time on the gi joe cartoon right you know um and i wanted to talk about that and establish that Mm -hmm. because um the transformers was not my favorite cartoon in the summer of 1985, when my dad made that trip that I mentioned back at the beginning of the last episode. Okay. All of what we've been talking about is a setup for my 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 main subject here, which is in March of 1985, Robotech debuted at four o'clock in the afternoon after G.I. Joe, but before Voltron. From the opening notes of the theme song it was obviously something very, very different from anything else I had been watching. Now, I want to take a minute off air uh, for you to watch uh, the opening sequence of the show, and I want to talk about your reaction.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Okay, so everything you and I had -hmm. been watching in the early 80s, G.I. Joe theme song, Smurfs theme song, Transformers theme song, Mm -hmm. what what immediately strikes you as different about what you just watched compared to the rest of that
0: so i would say that the the most striking aspect is the lack of lyrics the lack of catchiness the lack of jingles Mm -hmm. and it strikes me as the music that we heard honestly could have been music that was background music for opening credits of a 70s or 80s sci-fi tv show live action Mm -hmm. um it feels very clear to me that this cartoon uh which i just i watched the opening to the robotech uh cartoon
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: it was uh 90 seconds long which is at least 30 seconds longer than than any of the others Mm -hmm. um i think most of the others clocked in around 30 to 38 seconds
1: yeah so it's Um, like a full minute
0: longer yeah yeah and and it's clear to me that uh this cartoon was not made for children or, uh, yeah. in its originality mm-hmm. like that 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 shit ain't for kids like the ink <laughs> that it took yeah the the colors that were used the like it, it is not made to market toys toward children right you know just knowing what i know from gi joe and transformers like it's right. okay. not made to to market toys toward children
1: okay so yeah, the the Robotech theme, mm-hmm. it's it's orchestral. Yes. Right. As you mentioned, there's no lyrics. Um the the Transformers theme song uh immediately starts by explaining to us who are the Transformers, right? Right. More than meets the eye. Autobots Decepticons like it's the Whole rundown everything you need to know To follow the plot of of Whatever story you're gonna watch right Has been handed to you mm-hmm. Rather rather Handily in that theme song G.I. Joe right. same thing right So it is Not it I mean, is, is
0: G.I. Joe had actual narration
1: Yeah <laughs> That's like, true that's it, a good point yeah Straight up narrated it yeah like, just straight yeah. up Explaining shit yeah Um, and now I want to, you, you mentioned, um, what I, what I find interesting that you, that, that came, came out in your analysis was Mm -hmm. the, uh, details, the angles and the animation in, in the intro. Um, there was a lot more, I'm going to call it technical view Quite so. Yeah. Like, like the angle looking at the the nose gear of of the Veritech from underneath as it's as it's about to get as launched. Yeah. Yeah. The the Veritech lined up on the on the carrier deck. Uh. You know. Their getting...
0: transformation was almost incidental to the action instead of the yeah. point of the action. Um, yes. Just comparing it to the amount of cuts that were in uh like the Transformers. Um. Transformers get in. Show you a couple of transformations, get you the song, and show you the colorful characters and how they fight against each other, and get the fuck out. Yeah. This was long establishing shot. Like you see, pilot McFly guy's face as he's going down the runway. <laughs> Rick for way hunter. Too long. Yes, yeah. uh, he's he's a a, a a hunter of Ricks. Yes. Um. For for way too long. Yeah. For, for me to want to buy it, like, th- this doesn't make <laughs> yeah. any sense. It's just yeah. a guy. The only cool thing was the the eyes came down, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. then you see him, like, I counted for, like, two or three, like, <laughs> seconds. It just shows the scenery going by him as he gains sp- speed to take off. Right. Like, there's, there's no point. There's no selling me on his toy in right. that because it's yeah. not active. It's not dynamic. It's not... Like when you see the the Transformers and their, the fight that they have or whatever, whatever yeah. clip that they've got going on mm-hmm. is absolutely to show you the action that you could pretend. This did right. not do that.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. And then I also want to point out to you the nature of the violence that you do see in that opening sequence.
0: There's a um, lot of collateral damage. Uh, yes. They they go down into a battle that's happening on a street with weird orb-like legged things.
1: Yeah, that, um, that's Zentradi battle pods. That's yeah, those, the alien invaders, yeah.
0: And you literally see a character turning a corner after diving through. Like, he turns his robot from a, a plane into a legged plane, which is just weird, to yeah. a robot, a full robot with a gun. Yeah, he dives through some bad guys, shoots them behind him, and then goes around the corner to shoot the. Uh, you said Zentradi. Yeah. So to shoot one of those, like there's there's a lot of um, collateral damage in those mm-hmm. things too. So yeah.
1: And the gunfire, as we see it, is very frenetic. There is a lot more chaos visually on the screen, and very notably um we see that alien invaders battle pod get completely destroyed yeah not not you know taken out of action damaged but it it blows up like
0: whoever mm-hmm. the pilot
1: is of that is dead
0: right like if if there's a pilot i see i thought they were robots no so
1: okay. uh, we're we're gonna yeah there's there's I'm, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in this episode talking about the, the backstory and, and cool. lore here Very cool. um, because it, it's important to the, to the points I'm sure. trying to make.
0: I also saw a weak effort at a woman um, moving her hair in a way that might be beguiling, but it was like, it was almost like she got bored of the the gesture halfway through it.
1: Well, yeah, that's, that's, um it was yeah it's it's a visual introduction to one of the principal characters of the series and it's less about her trying to look beguiling and more about she's just trying to get her hair out of the way to do her job
0: yeah in 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 the context
1: yeah. yeah it's it's much more naturalistic okay in a way because, uh, like you it's, say, it's, you know, it's, 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 I don't they're, know. Well, they're, they're
0: doing an opening trailer and you're establishing yeah. a character, mm-hmm. having them wiping their nose ain't it. <laughs> yeah. And she was doing the equivalent of that with her hair. She's just like, yeah. get out of the way. Like, yeah. not her pointing at a screen, not her doing cool computer shit or yelling into a microphone, yeah. just moving her hair. Like, so, yeah, that did.
1: <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot to be said about the, um, treatment of women as Mm -hmm. characters in 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 the series and in its source material um but we can get into that later Mm -hmm. but yeah um so yeah it is it is very much like you can you can tell from so many cues this this is not meant to market anything to anybody right right um, and so Robotech was a quantum leap narratively and in terms of um, characterization and, and on all kinds of levels. Compared to everything else that I had been watching up to this point, uh, Robotech was like graduating into secondary school you know yeah so to as briefly as i think i can get away with um explaining kind of what what the storyline of it was uh prior to the beginning of the show and and all of this gets explained in in the very first episode um they a basically world war three breaks out Mm-hmm. and um all of the all of the different nations of the world are fighting against each other and uh in 1999 if i'm remembering the timeline right okay. um <clears throat> there is there's a battle going on in the middle of the pacific between you know aerial forces of two two of the different alliances and in the middle of that battle which is Uh, Narratively very reminiscent of Midway Okay um, For anybody who's studied the history In the middle of that battle uh, All of a sudden An alien, a massive Alien spacecraft, like a mile long Alien spacecraft uh, Comes plummeting through the atmosphere And crashes On Macross Island In the middle of nowhere in the Pacific Okay and so humans that
0: are fighting each other, then suddenly alien spacecraft shaft yeah. crashes.
1: Yeah. This okay. this wreck crash lands. And um the the investigation of the spacecraft shows that uh whoever built it has a technological base vastly superior to humanity. Okay. It shows that um they are giants. Oh shows that, um, you know, and, and basically just scares the crap out of everybody. It leads to an immediate ceasefire and formation formation of a unified world government mm-hmm. and uh, an, an international coalition of scientists and military people all rush to Macross Island uh, in order to investigate the wreck and try to reverse engineer the alien technology. Okay. okay. Now, from that World War Three scenario and, and that incident, we now time skip, I want to say, 10 years? Some mm-hmm. some number of years. I don't remember mm-hmm. the timeline as well as I should. And um, we, humanity, the, the United Nations Space Forces, have succeeded in rebuilding... And, and figuring out how it works. They've they figured out how to how to how to operate and rebuild the alien warship. Okay. And they have named it Super Dimensional Fortress One.
0: That's uh SDF.
1: Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> so they have they have they have named it the SDF One. Mm-hmm. And, um, our, our, the, the plot line of the series starts proper, uh, on the day that the SDF one is going to be launched. Okay. And it's the opening ceremony of the launch and ACE pilot Roy Foker, who has been part of the, uh, program, part of the rebuilding from the beginning, uh, is in the midst of, uh, uh, acting as MC for a for a demonstration to a whole bunch of dignitaries and and the people of the city that has grown up around the ship, mm-hmm. Macross City. Um he is he is presenting uh a a demonstration of this is the tech that we've been able to build using this you know advanced technology. Uh and it's the the Valkyrie variable fighters mm-hmm. Which are the, you know, fighter jets that can turn into Gerwalk mode, which is the weird, you know, duck-footed, you know, jet fighter with legs okay. thing. Okay. Uh, and then they can turn into robots. Now, what they're not telling the general public is the whole reason they've built the, you know, 20-foot-tall robots mm-hmm. is because we're going to need 20-foot-tall robots to fight against the foot soldiers of whoever these aliens are. Because, again, the aliens are giants.
0: So the aliens are twenty feet tall. The and aliens are so robots, are yeah, are, okay. yeah sized That Okay, that, that makes sense. I was in seventh grade and had been friends. I had made friends with some of the nerds in my school, and we were playing the Palladium Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then yeah. one of them pulled out the Robotech play uh, player's handbook. Yeah, and so there was. There and it was you know the days of the charts you know so oh yeah oh yeah, had yeah my TSR Marvel they had their their Palladium TMT yeah. and somebody had the Robotech uh role playing game right there was so much fucking tech spec to that it was just ridiculous oh. but oh, I yeah, remember I remember talking about them saying the word Zentradi and right and talking about how tall they were yeah so, this is all making making some sense
1: okay <laughs> so. so um, were they in blue? The,
0: were they like a weird blue?
1: They, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, some of them were. They had they had weird variable kind of skin tones. Okay, I'll, I'll get into it in a minute. So, um, in the middle of this uh, demonstration, a uh, high performance civilian aircraft comes, you know, blasting through the airspace, and you know, pulling off these aerobatic maneuvers. And it turns out this is our protagonist, Rick Hunter who is a civilian air show pilot who is like Roy Fokker's, you know, a uh, little brother from another mother.
0: Sure. Now Roy Fokker, it's yeah. spelled like the airplane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did I ever tell you we used to use that airplane to swear without swearing in my geology class?
1: <laughs> I love that. That's oh, awesome.
0: great. We, we would find so many ways to swear without swearing. Um, so that's that when brilliant. we would get in trouble, yeah. we would have the plausible deniability.
1: Yeah, no, and like so it. it
0: was. Yeah, what's up, Fokker? And then, uh, yeah, get over what, here. What the hell? What are you using yeah. that word? What? We're both huge fans of World War One fighter planes. He calls me Sopwith. I call him Fokker. What's What's the
1: What's what? Oh God, what, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's so it was. It was great. Um, I'm trying to remember who the who the uh, British ace was at some point in the like early sixties, he uh-huh. was giving a talk to a group of, of, uh, uh, young ladies, some, uh-huh. some group of, you know, female students or something. And, uh, and he's, and he's talking about some part of the battle of Britain.
0: Was it Billy Bishop? Cause he's,
1: I don't know. I'm, okay. I, I want to say it was something It might've been Baden. I want to say the last name was like Baden Powell, but that's also boy Scouts. But anyway, so he's, He's, Ball, he's, maybe, maybe. Anyway. He, he's he's describing how you know him and his flight group were heading out and he says and uh when we see the we see the fokkers coming at us <laughs> and
0: uh well see now you know he's not from manchester because he didn't say foker
1: yeah well yeah <laughs> <laughs> and the uh and and the and the matroness the you know uh uh you know chaperone i guess uh you know interjected to say um you know i should i should clarify. Uh, girls Fokker was was the name of the aircraft and and without skipping a beat he looked right at her and said well uh yes ma'am you're correct Fokker was was an aircraft but these Fokkers were flying Messerschmitts
0: (laughs) okay but Messerschmitts had to have been World War II though, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. This okay, was okay. this
1: was this was talking about Battle of Britain stuff. But oh, yeah.
0: okay. I, yeah. I was I, you said a British soldier. I or yeah, pilot. I immediately yeah. went to like World War One aces. So oh yeah,
1: no, no, he was okay. it was Battle of Britain guy. Um. So anyway, Roy Roy Foker, um, and and Rick Hunter, mm-hmm. and um, Rick, uh, basically winds up well so they're they're they they have a back and forth and then in the middle of the launch ceremony as as the ship is about to take off
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh all of the crew we we cut to the crew and we have you know the ship's captain and the primarily female officers who were running everything aboard aboard the the bridge um all of a sudden, all their sensors start going off, and alarm klaxons are, are going off, and uh, a massive alien fleet uh, folds into existence uh, on on the edge of the atmosphere, and uh, they immediately, you know, send try to send all the all the civilians to to shelters to to you know get away. And the Veritex all you know get get launched, and the beginnings of a battle start. And in all of the uh, chaos, uh, Rick Hunter winds up in a a Veritech hmm. and okay. uh, you know winds up kind of having a Luke Skywalker or Anakin Skywalker, you know. Oh, hey, right. this is pod racing kind of moment. Sure, sure. Um, and to to cut back on the amount of, of unnecessary detail I'm going into. Uh the the battle culminates with the SDF-1 uh trying to fold away and and use the alien faster than light drive to it's like, okay, we gotta we're gonna get away from here, get away from the civilians, we gotta get over. We're, they're trying to go to the far side of the moon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They activate the fold drive and the ship Folds, but it takes with it a huge chunk of the island, Mm. including a pair of aircraft carriers in the harbor and most of Macross City. Oh, dear. Because the fold doesn't just take the ship, it's a sphere of space that it affects.
0: Carves everything out.
1: And when they come out on the other side, Mm -hmm. they're not on the far side of the moon. They're closer to Jupiter.
0: Bit farther. Yeah. Okay.
1: So um, like now,
0: do the Cylons track them down? Because so yeah, far what you're describing is very Battlestar Galactica to it, me. it is. It is, yeah. yes.
1: Um, and yes, um, okay. there is constant kind of having a fight off attacks from the Zentradi as they are trying to get their way back to Earth. And they're everybody, like from the highest level of command down to you know the the grunts in the non-fighter jet robots. Because mm-hmm. there's the Veritex, then there are Destroids, which are you know ground pounder robots with big missile pods or gigantic cannons or whatever. And all of them, from from the top to the bottom, everybody's learning how to use all this tech. Because it's, you know, it's none of them have ever used anything like it in battle before. The ship's systems, like the the, the human systems that we've installed in the SDF-1, are battling with the pre-existing automated systems of of the alien ship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, trying to figure out how to get full control of the ship, which is kind of semi-artificially intelligent. Um, and so it's this, it's this struggle on that level, Mm -hmm. um, as they're trying to get back to earth at the same time, they immediately have to round up as many of the civilians as they can get them into the SDF one, because again, it was built for giants and it's a mile long and it's this vast fortress of a, of a battleship. Okay. Okay. So there's an awful lot of empty space in it. So that means that they're able to essentially take the chunks of the city that were teleported with them and bring them inside the hull of the ship. Uh, And so Macross City, all of the civilians, everybody in there, wind up living inside parts of the SDF-1.
0: And everything's oversized and outsized, so
1: yeah. Well, the human buildings have right. have been brought in, yeah, so you've right, got human right. buildings in the middle of this gigantic cavernous space. Okay. And Rick winds up running into uh, a a waitress with with you know aspirations to become a pop star named uh, Lynn Minmay, and they kind of sort of have a meet cute in the middle of a war zone. Sure. And he is immediately smitten with her And she really likes the attention he's giving her So there's immediately a romantic plot
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, And as they try to get back to Earth There is always the concern of Every time the Zentradi attack Whatever we do We've got to try to keep them off of the civilians Inside the ship
0: Okay you know mine, the
1: mine. the the things that we're able to do, the weapon systems that we can bring online, are limited by the fact that there's whole portions of the ship that are being inhabited by non-combatants, and we don't we don't want to attract Zentradi attention to them. Okay. Now the Zentradi, all of them mm-hmm. are giants. Um, all of them they they have they tend to have with a couple of notable exceptions they tend to have uh very heavy features they've got they've got like heavy brow ridges very pronounced square looking jaws okay um their their hands are kind of kind of heavy compared to compared to you know human micronian as they would call us hands and what gets revealed the, the human characters in the show don't figure this out For a while but we the viewer figure out Real fast The Zentradi are Literally a warrior race They have no culture Their only Culture is War
0: Okay so they're American GIs <laughs> In Japan
1: Well yeah
0: like Bigger Broader features mm-hmm. War culture yeah yeah huge weapons of war that they brought over yeah you're keeping trying to keep Um, civilians safe for them okay
1: yeah and um they fight in very rudimentary war machines that uh hit really hard but don't don't take damage very well um especially like the grunt level ones Mm -hmm. are are very much glass cannons Okay. Um, and individual soldiers will wear body armor and carry like you know a big rifle mm-hmm. but um you know the micronian mecca are much more focused on you know we've spent all this time training the pilot we got to keep the pilot alive sure. so the, so there's an ejection system right no there is no such thing in any zentradi war machine there is no ejection system it's it's armored enough that like okay you can shrug off a hit but you know and and the reason for this is Zentradi are all cloned soldiers and every Zentradi soldier is effectively about 4 years old oh okay they are they are pumped out of the clone vats as physical adults having been hypno trained all right. the basics of everything they need to know. And and their entire world is orders from your superior um, and, you know, going out and fighting. And then, you know, coming back and rearming and going back out and fighting. And that's it.
0: Right. Like you said, there's there's only warrior culture.
1: Yeah. And the only ones of them who have the opportunity to develop personalities... Are their officers and their generals, the ones who live long mm-hmm. enough to be fifteen, uh, okay. or, in, or in the case of the the really senior ones, they're many decades or even over a hundred years old, and they are veterans of an incalculable number of campaigns that mm-hmm. they have fought for their masters, the Robotech masters. Okay. Who, who over the course of the Macross series, the first the first series of the of the Robotech uh, franchise, we never see the the uh, Robotech Masters. We only hear about them. We see the Zentradi, who are their their minions. So we have child soldiers who mm-hmm. have no no culture, um, no real agency, no real agency and um another important plot point is that male zentradi and female zentradi are intentionally kept apart from one another the robotech masters have engineered their their forces Mm -hmm. so that male zentradi have their own ships and their own fleets and their own their own mecca And female Zentradi have their own fleets and their own command structure and their own mecha, and they have been taught to distrust and have fierce rivalry with each other.
0: And since they clone, you don't need them to be fucking, so...
1: Right. As a matter of fact, you kind of don't want them to be. Right. So, um, over the course of the series... Uh, two of the uh, two of the commanders of the Zentradi forces switch sides after after Min May succeeds in becoming a pop star, um, and transmissions of her performances are picked up by the Zentradi, for whom the experience of a pop concert is more effective psychological warfare than anything else we have ever experienced in all the ages of human warfare against other humans because it is colorful and it's musical and it's bright and like why why are you doing this what kind of weapon is this what what kind of combat training is involved in these vocalizations? Like, the, these are literally the conversations they're having. And the realization that, hey, wait a minute, um, there's there's more to our existence than, than anything we've been allowed to do leads to a whole huge chunk of the Zentradi invasion forces switching sides okay so we have we have heel face turn right and then later in the series one of the uh frankly psychotic uh male zentradi commanders chiron uh winds up uh getting into a relationship uh with azonia a a one of the female commanders generals uh they wind up uh, getting psycho in love with each other and and wind up then having a they they went from heel to sort of face then they go back to heel together and try to wipe out humanity toward the end of the end of the show. Um, and so so there is not a these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Like right. from the beginning, we see the experience of being a Zendrati and like there's something deeply fucked up with their their existence. They 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 have no culture. They have been kept intentionally stunted mm-hmm. by the people who are using them as, as, as soldiers in any number of meat grinders, right? Sure. So um and then at the end of the first series of Robotech, um the determination gets made after uh the sdf-1 gets back to earth uh the zentradi some of the zentradi switch sides the most of the zentradi invasion fleet gets defeated then a group of zentradi get get discontented with living as micronians and like they go back to wanting to be giants and and you know breaking things uh and and they wind up you know trying to sneak attack uh the the civilian population of earth uh and a force uh gets sent as an expeditionary force it's like okay we've we've now built the sdf3 we we have built our own couple of sdfs we now have our own new superdimensional fortress and we're going to send it out and they're going to try to find the, the robotech masters so that we can maybe try to deal with them or maybe fight them out there to prevent them from wiping out humanity here right uh and at the end of the first series rick hunter and the woman he actually winds up with at the end of the series lisa hayes who's the bridge officer who's flipping her hair back in that in that intro Mm uh who at first found him utterly infuriating and just like could not fucking stand him sure um at the end of the series they're they're on their way to getting married and they head off with the SDF three expedition, and then um Earth gets gets ravaged by this Zentradi revolt. And that's the end of the first series, and then Robotech moves on to the second series of Robotech, which is uh the Southern Cross saga.
0: Okay. Now is which is like like a season two, or is this a meanwhile? It's it's a continuation. Okay.
1: It's a continuation. The main character of the second series is the daughter of two of the characters from the first series.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Max and Miria Sterling have a daughter, Dana Sterling, who is the main character of the second series.
0: Okay.
1: And I'm going to talk about Max and Miria in a second. So, from that overly long synopsis... hmm um, this was the grittiest, darkest, and most emotionally complex series my friends and I had ever seen.
0: Okay. Oh.
1: Um, two of the friends of the main character, Rick Hunter is obviously the protagonist of, of the first series. Sure, Two of his very good friends uh, who we get attached to within like the first four episodes of the show uh Ben Dixon and, and Roy Foker uh both die spoiler alert for a series that's you know 40 40 years old sure. um and you were, looked like you were about to say something
0: no i just i think i remember okay. right. roy foker being the one who shows up and turns out he dies of his wounds once he gets home kind of thing
1: yeah so so ben ben dixon gets blown up um in in the middle of a battle uh the 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 shield the 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 force field function of the sdf-1 overloads and he gets caught in the in the blast and he is he's destroyed disintegrated by it roy foker um gets into a tangle with a zentradi ace um and wins and then but his but his veritech is like totally shot up there's holes all over it he lands he gets out of the cockpit and and he's going back to uh spend spend the night with his girlfriend Mm -hmm. uh claudia grant who is a good friend of lisa hayes so there's parallels between these two relationships right and he gets to claudia's apartment and as he's ringing her doorbell the scene shifts to the crew working on his Veritech,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who look at it and go, "Holy crap! There's holes blown in the back of his seat." And then we cut to Claudia opening the door to her apartment, and Roy falls Falling flat on down. his face. Gotcha. And we, and we see blood mm. through his uniform jacket, which was mind-boggling yeah unheard of right yeah and he's and he's he's dead he he dies in claudia's arms um and so these this like the next day like that episode aired and the next day that was literally all my friends and i could talk about at recess like that, that like we we carried ourselves like uh like the men of easy company you know, after, after, you know, after combat, you know, we Mm -hmm. practically had cigarettes hanging out of our mouths like, man, that was, that was some shit, man. Like (laughs) that is obviously we weren't using that language, but that was, that was like in our, in our heads, that was the way we felt. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, and the depiction of genuine hardship as part of war, like death on screen death, Mm Mm-hmm didn't didn't happen anywhere else
0: no it didn't
1: in like and the depiction of genuine hardship as part of war was completely different from the fighting that we saw on gi joe or on the transformers right um the involvement of an actual romantic plot uh complete with romance parallelogram uh was was totally new yeah so to briefly explain that, uh, Rick and Minmay I've already talked about,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then Rick uh, also developed feelings for, and she developed feelings for him, uh, Lisa Hayes. So it's so it's Rick, Minmay, and Lisa are mm. a love triangle. Okay, okay. and then uh, kind of at the same time, kind of before that, um, uh, Lynn Minmay's cousin Lynn Kyle. Last name is first because they're Asian. Uh, Lynn Kyle shows up, and um, he is a romantic rival with Rick. As Lynn gets famous, as Minmay gets famous, mm-hmm. Kyle is, like, hanging on her and, you know, being kind of the boyfriend. Uh, and he's always, like, when she's on a movie set, he's always there, and he's getting cast as the romantic lead opposite her. Gotcha. And so so there's the triangle of of Rick, Minmay, Kyle. And, you know, Rick and Minmay, uh, Rick is in love with Minmay. Minmay really likes getting all of Rick's attention. Uh, Kyle really likes Minmay's fame and money. Uh, And Lisa really likes Rick loves rick rick loves lisa but rick can't make up his mind about whether he loves her more than min may or what and like to a 10 year old this is deep emotional complexity right Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it is it is a soap opera plot and i remember i remember my dad sitting down and watching an episode of it with me that was that was focused pretty heavily there was there were a couple of fight scenes but it was pretty heavily focused on on the rick lisa Minmei triangle (laughs) i remember my dad kind of kind of being being bemused and kind of saying oh my god this is a soap opera and i was so offended i was so pissed sure but he wasn't wrong like, right right you know um and this is this is so much more complicated and so much more adult like in in the in the very fact that there is there is overt romance mm-hmm. like it's not just well you know you see these two characters around all the time and you know we think they like each other like no they were yeah. there were kissing scenes man right um <laughs> and and nothing else aimed anything like that at kids at the time.
0: No. In fact, they steered away from it every time.
1: Yeah. Um, And G.I. Joe and the Transformers were, were stuck with a structure that demanded they have self-contained episodes. Yes. Robotech had, had a, had a, it was a saga, right? It was this long story arc that took place over the course of more than, more than two years uh, in universe and showed multiple characters, especially Rick, because um, he's a protagonist, but but multiple characters changed and developed over time. In the first episode, Rick is a cocky, doesn't take anything seriously, callow, kid, stunt pilot. Mm-hmm. By the end of the series, he's a he's a real leader and a sober veteran. He is he takes over Roy's position as squadron leader and he is he is the guy who's looking out for his men and and telling him, you know, this is the plan, this is what we're going to do. Right. Um Roy Fokker has a full mentor arc that mm-hmm. it, culminates in his sudden shocking death. Uh Max Sterling is the like Rick is the protagonist and he is a really good pilot. Max is a genius pilot. He's not a commander Mm-hmm. but he is he is the most gifted mac pilot there is and he winds up uh he has a plot line with Miria, who is a Zen, a female zentradi who they run into each other two or three times she becomes obsessed with him because he's he's the only enemy she has not been able to defeat
0: gotcha
1: uh and so they wind up having a whole arc that is a complete enemies to lovers arc that culminates with them getting married and having who becomes the main character of the next series. Sure. They have a daughter Dana. Um and she becomes an important plot point because at one point uh part of their gambit to get some of the Zentradi to turn is they show, "Hey, you know her. She's she's one of your aces." Mm -hmm. um and you know you know him because he's he's you know the the mic the micronian killer um and by the way here's what happens when they get together they made a baby
0: right
1: what what? you know um and and the the resounding shockwave through zentradi you know society in in the earth system is you know Seismic. Um Britai and Exodor are these two, you know, general characters. Britai is the is the force commander at the outset of the series, and Exodor is his uh strategic genius, you know, planner guy. Um, the two of them have a wonderful friendship dynamic that like nobody else in the Zentradi society has because they're old enough that they have that they have developed that relationship. Um, They turn face against an even bigger set of heels. Um, And as I already mentioned, Azonia turns face, then turns heel again after falling in love with Chiron. Right. So all of these characters have multiple facets and they are, I mean, they're, they're kind of stock characters in one way or another, but they have, they have arcs, they have development, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, across all three of the robotech series the southern cross which is the second series and the next generation which is the third one there are deep concepts and themes that western animation didn't get into at the time or at least didn't approach anywhere near as directly or as deeply Mm -hmm. first of all i cannot restate this enough all three series are very much anti-war like all of our protagonists are soldiers these are these are real robot genre mm-hmm. military science fiction stories but they are all coming at it from a very much uh these these are our heroes not because they are soldiers but because they are doing what they have to do to protect other people they are you know they're they're heroic because they are doing the best they can in the middle of an awful situation. Right. right? War is not ever a good thing. Sure. And the fact that the Zentradi crave war and the and the, the Robotech Masters uh, see war as just another way to subjugate everybody they come in contact with is what makes them the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Earth gets devastated by the Robotech Wars, and we see it happening. We see, you know, the the buildings being flattened and and forests being turned into ash wastelands and and muddy, muddy swamps., mm-hmm. um, and this is by the bombardment of the planet at the outset of the Zentradi invasions. And again, at the end of the war, oh, when Chiron, you know, basically tries to to burn the planet up, and the people of Macross City are explicitly characterized as refugees who are stuck literally in the middle of the fighting. And we see them complaining about food shortages and about, uh, you know, where are we going to find fuel? Where are we going to, you know, all of the hardships and all the stuff, the rationing they have to deal with, all of the stuff that they have to, all the hardships they go through. Mm-hmm. Are consistently parts of the background B plots in episodes. Like it's it's there, you know. Um, I've already mentioned that Ben Dixon and Roy Foker both die on screen.
0: Dude, this in front. Um, Do the Zentradi ever give a reason for why they're there to invade? Is it just colonial? Yes. Oh, okay.
1: Um, it is it is in <laughs> in Robotech. And it's important I say that because this is in Robotech, as opposed to in the source material that Robotech came from. Mm-hmm. In Robotech, it is because um, th- when when the alien ship that became the SDF-1 crashed on Earth, um, it had been uh, stolen by one of the Robotech Masters, one of the one of the founders of the Robotech Masters civilization. Uh, had realized that the Robotech Master civilization was ir- like unsavably corrupt, was going to collapse under the weight of its own flaws, um, and so he took uh, the last stores of unrefined uh, protoculture, the Flower of Life, and brought it with him aboard this ship. Fled. From the Robotech Masters civilization, and in the process of fleeing, the ship got shot up and you know escaped out of out of sight of where the where the Masters could find it. And when the SDF one gets switched on in order to be launched, that sends a signal out to all of the Zentradi forces in this sector of the galaxy who've been searching for however many years. That we found them and that's why they show up Is because they're trying to recover the protoculture
0: Okay So So,
1: Yes there is There is colonialism involved
0: But it's more To chase down that thing
1: Yeah Um.
0: So again more of the moral Ambiguity quite honestly Like it would be one thing if they're just here To colonize and take and, and ruin This stuff too but it's quite another that they're looking for a thing yeah yeah
1: so um you know and i've um you know the, the culture clash mm-hmm. that is going on here is um the zentradi arrive in our system as an army of tank born cloned artificial giants Like I said, no culture but soldiering, no music, no art, no literature, and the human concepts of culture and sexuality, which isn't like, you know, overtly sexy at any point, but the very fact that, no, no, there are men and there are women and they have romantic tensions with each other. Like these ideas shock them to their core. Um, and it's worth noting that Chiron is a general at the old age of fifteen mm-hmm. <laughs> in Centurion society, and the average, like I said, the average Centurion soldier is about four years old. Four four years out of the clone tank.
0: Yeah, it sounds very Jem'Hadar. Hadar.
1: Very yes, very yeah. much, very much indeed. Um and. In a way, um, I kind of want to say that the Zentradi are trope codifiers for a lot of the ideas that we see in the Gem Hadar. And um, and I want to say the Goa old but I know I'm wrong. And I know Sean is listening and he's he's just shaking his head at me in disappointment. But the uh the Goa Uld's soldiers in uh, Stargate. Okay, Jaffa the Jaffa also, uh, they have families and they're, and they're born and they're raised and they have childhoods and all that. And they have a culture, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tropes that we see in the, that we see codified in the Zentradi that get carried over in, in these other places, in these other ideas. Okay. So by the time my father came home with the Valkyrie toy, Mm -hmm i was hooked on robotech sure and this this was a complete it it, it had me narratively by my optic nerves like at, at four o'clock every afternoon that was coming on the tv like i was fortunate that there was no scheduling conflict with like my dad was usually still at work of course at that point and and my mom was not watching tv at that time of day right so i i didn't i didn't have to worry about you know getting preempted by something else um but like <clears throat> my my family did not inculcate in me the habit of going to church but uh, Robotech um, uh, inculcated in me the habit of being in front of the TV five days a week at four o'clock.
0: <laughs> sure, like,
1: um, and I mean, it introduced a whole new uh, uh, it introduced a whole new vista of what a story could look like, mm-hmm. right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so Dad showed up with, with the Veritech and obviously it just, it immediately went to the top of the favorite toy list. Yeah. So now the reason for all that complexity is really, well, it's, it's, um, it's, it's obvious um, on its face. You already uh, you already hit on it, right? That is to say that this was not originally written to be a kids' TV series. No, it became a kids' TV series here in the United States because of the animation ghetto. Because if it's a cartoon, must be obviously it's for children. Yeah. Um, in point of practical fact, uh, it was based on Super Dimensional Fortress Macross a series produced in Japan by Studio Nue in 1982. Notably, the visual designer of the mecha and many of the characters in Macross is a man named Shoujo Kawamori, and he also created the Transformers characters for the Takara Tomi toys line. Okay. Um, and so the series spent some time in development hell in Japan, Mm-hmm. So, uh, the studio, Studio Nue, who, who made it, had to work with a whole bunch of partners to finally get the funding to make it and distribute it and do all of that. And so, Studio Nue wound up working with two companies in the end to fund it, Big West Productions mm-hmm. and Tatsunoko Productions. Okay. The show turned out to be a huge hit in Japan, and in Japan... It has since spawned an entire franchise with four animated series, 10 movies, and a host of video games. And this is a place where I am going to put a pin in all of that. Okay. Because in its transition from Japan to the United States, some things happened that led to me as an adult having a very complicated relationship with Robotech as a nine, 10 year old, it was absolutely the best thing in the world I had ever seen. Sure. As a grown-up, I love the series and the company that's responsible for bringing it over here. In my opinion, should be driven into the ground and, and their names uh, erased from history for all time.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. And
1: so we can get into why that is starting in our next episode.
0: I like it. So, so
1: based on all of that, mm-hmm. what have what have you got for me in in response where what are you
0: thinking? So the series that was created with a ton of moral moral ambiguity was created by a ton of moral ambiguity. Yes. Like so Um, No, I I think, you know, the fact that, again, the the animation ghetto rears its ugly head, right? So you have, essentially, cartoons are for kids, and cartoons, ultimately, I mean, you have two trope codifiers in the 1980s, G.I. Joe and Transformers. Yeah. All cartoons thereafter were for selling toys. So not only are cartoons for kids, cartoons are the commercials for commodifying these toys. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking of, did you ever remember Jace and the wheeled warriors?
1: Yeah, I do okay. remember that.
0: So those toys were the only exposure I had to that series. So I actually fell over backward into it. Somebody bought me those toys, uh, a well-meaning adult in my life. I'm sure who didn't know what I liked. Um, okay. And, and those toys had magnetic feet, on the, the, the men and the men were only like maybe an inch and a half tall and the vehicles okay. were smallish and the vehicles had like magnets on them as well. So that was kind of the gimmick was that they were magnetized on the top and on the bottom. And otherwise there were, just kind of like cool looking cars, right? Yeah. So I don't remember much from that series at all, but I do know that once I found the series, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. There's a cartoon for this too and then i was able to name the characters that i had already had you know bought for me yeah um the american system was such that the cartoon existed to sell the toys that that was the thing and it sounds to me a lot like um the the animation ghetto kept the the alarming nature of robotech because it i'm i'm a little stunned that it actually got past past censors because you had the self-appointed parent group you remember yeah And they actually like despite my distaste for self-appointed groups they actually were doing a better <laughs> job than the federal government was because yes reaganomics um and reagan and his fcc stuff but it's it is interesting to me that because in america we do have animation ghetto and this did not follow the animation formula of you're supposed to be selling toys and yeah. story simple stupid um <laughs> yeah i i i do find that that aspect especially interesting
1: yeah um it it is in you know looking at it with adult eyes now the Things that the Robotech series got away with mm-hmm. um, were stunning. Sounds like like it. you say, the, the fact that they were able to get stuff past sensors is amazing. What is worth mentioning kind of at this point in the conversation is um, the original series uh, had a lot of material that got edited out. That took all of those things even farther Mm. Like there were some moments in Superdimensional Fortress Macross that were actually Kind of sexy Um, Mm -hmm. and the violence was bloodier Um, You know and and so there it was what we saw was toned down, but even toned down it was Like I've already said I mean a, a quantum leap right uh from everything else and i think part of the reason i think part of the reason it was able to get past those self-appointed groups was the fact that it was a cartoon i think Mm -hmm. even those self-appointed parent groups looking at stuff the preconceived notion of well you know it's a cartoon you know what? What we what I talked about about, uh, or what William Gibson notably talked about about science fiction as a genre. Like you can get away with shit in science fiction. You know that that other literature won't do because you know people don't take science fiction as seriously. Right. Um, and I think it's kind of it's it's the same thing here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, um, I was gonna say, definitely. uh, the first time that you see blood in a GI Joe, uh, cartoon is the movie.
1: Oh and, yeah,
0: and the first time you see, uh, any Transformers die is their movie.
1: Yep. Like, theatrical release. If you get a theatrical release, people die.
0: Right. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. largely because you want to clear out the new, the clear out space for the new generation. Yeah. But in G.I. Joe, you see um Falcon bleeding from the lip in, yeah. in silhouette, and then you see his face, and there's a little bit of blood coming from there. So um, yeah, I I'm I am uh yeah, I'm I'm not surprised, I guess, that it was ghettoized. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and and yet it it the fact that it did not follow the commodification formula of American cartoons. Yeah, oh, I find that interesting.
1: Yeah, well, uh, to to the credit of the guy who who brought the series over and mm-hmm. and was behind the idea to take three separate anime series and turn them into one long story arc, uh, and I'm going to talk more about him in the, in the next episode. But uh, he he takes a lot of shit in anime fan circles. Um, and I'll get into that, but to his credit, he did this as a labor of genuine love for the material. Mm -hmm. The, the company that bought the rights to it, like I said, their names should be erased from history, you know, screw them all. But, uh, you know, the, the, the act of, of bringing the property over here, I think, came from a place of genuine love of the material, sure. and sure. so I mean that's so that's another massive departure from you know all of the other cartoon series we've talked about, you know. So, cool, yeah.
0: Well, what you reading?
1: Uh, well, what I'm going to recommend this time. Uh, and you can get a hold of this. I know that I, I encouraged everybody to try to go out and find uh, uh, either Superdimensional Fortress Macross or uh, Robotech. And, yeah, here in our region, for whatever reason, it's not available, which, by the way, I blame on the company involved. Um, but uh, the comic book series, uh, there's a there's a recent, relatively recent uh, comic book adaptation from Titan Comics. Mm-hmm. I very strongly recommend uh, that you go out and uh, give it a shot. Uh, Robotech um, from Titan Comics. So uh, how about you?
0: I'm actually going to recommend a pair of movies. Um, And uh, at present, they're streaming on Netflix, but uh, I I think they'll end up going back to their studio streams. Um, A pair of movies I'm going to recommend is... uh, do them in this order. Watch Arrival. Um, I think you'll like okay. it if you watch it. Uh, it's it's Aliens Land, um, and it is a slow burn. Not even a thriller. Just kind of a slow burn drama. Um, you would think Aliens Land, and it's lots and lots of action. It's not. Um, it's really really well done. There's a lot of good character development, and there's is, a, is
1: that the one with the, the linguist. Yes. The, the link. Yeah, I yeah. I have not had the wherewithal to sit because I've I've looked at it in bed, and that's going to be really heavy, and I don't know if I'm if I'm if I'm intellectually ready for it. But okay, no, it's with your good. recommendation, it's okay. Yeah.
0: And then I say rec. I I recommend also that you cleanse your palate with Pitch Perfect. <laughs> it is it is a fucking gem like uh, so so much good humor in it so much just uh, anna Make kendrick choices. is is she is a treasure she oh really yeah is.
1: she she really is there's yeah.
0: something just quirky odd about her and she's not like manic pixie dream girl yeah. quirky she's grounded quirky it's cool it's cool yeah so those are yeah. those are what i'm recommending so
1: all right yeah very cool all right
0: so uh i know you don't want to be found but uh I can be found on March 1st and April 5th. And frankly, thereafter, the first Friday of every month at Comedy Spot for Capital Punishment. Uh, where can our podcast be found?
1: Our podcast can be found on our website at wubba, wubba, Uh, You can also find us on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify. And wherever you have found us, since you're listening to me right now, Um, please take the time to give us the five-star review and hit the subscribe button and go back, take a look at our archives. We cover a little bit of everything and a Mm -hmm. lot of a few things. (laughs) Very true. Cool.
0: Well, for A Geek History of Time, I am Damien Sopwith.
1: (laughs) And I am Ed Foker. And until (laughs) next time, keep rolling 20s.